You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. My name is Shay Vossler, and I get the honor at 360 Church to walk alongside our next generation. And it is amazing to work with the volunteers that we have and these young adults who pour into these high school and middle school kids. Um, the people that God has put around them is it's just fun to do. It's, it's really incredible to be a part of it. So today, you get to experience a student takeover, and we couldn't start the student takeover without showing you what we do at camp every summer. And the reason I actually showed you that is, is not to just make you jealous or make you be like, well, I'm glad I'm not doing that ever. Um, is because a lot of you were a part of making that happen. A lot of you have been able to be like, hey, I can't go on the trip, or hey, I don't even want to go on the trip, but I can sponsor somebody. And a lot of you did this past summer, and we just want to say thank you. Because a lot of students have accepted Christ through that camp. A lot of students have rededicated their lives. A lot of students are taking their relationships serious with God right now. Praise God. And it is an exciting, I've been doing student ministry for about 20 plus years, and it's probably one of the most exciting times I've been able to be a part of this next generation. These guys are on fire. These guys, they live in a world that I call the largest mission field in America. They live on the public school system. They, they live there. They spend eight plus hours there a day. And I believe that is the largest mission field in America. I always tell them it'd be weird if I went to your school and started like preaching the gospel. It'd just be weird. Like it's sitting down at your lunch table being like, hey, do you want to know Jesus? But it's not weird for them to build and grow relationships with their friends and share who Jesus is and what he's done in their lives. So it's been really cool to be a, a part of this whole thing. Over the last 10 plus weeks, I have been going over with the high school students this series called Be Bold. And it's all about being bold in your faith. It's all about taking your faith, owning it. It's not your parents' faith anymore, it's yours. Taking your faith and out this past Sunday or this past Wednesday, we talked about what it's like to be bold out there. We can be bold in this building, right? We can say amen 800 times and we can stand up, but then we walk through those doors and we're in our real lives. And do we, are we bold? Do we take that call seriously? And so over the last 10 weeks, that's what we've been doing with the high school students, with the young adults, the 18 to 28 year olds, we've been walking through every other week, the book of Ephesians. And word, 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 verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And God just has been doing something in me in the last two or three months. And I've been really wrestling. And I didn't quite know why until Pastor Steve kind of came up and he said, hey, I want to do another student takeover. And I was like, oh, this is what you've been showing me. This is not a message I necessarily wanted to preach today, but it's a message that I feel God has given me to share with you. 
there is a lot of passages in this message, so just hold on with me. We are going through some scripture today, and the reason is, is because we're going to talk about one word. And that one word I think we skip over a lot in the Bible, or we just don't give as, as much credence as maybe we should, but that one word is a love. It's, it's love. Right? The one word is love. And in America, love could be like, man, I love French fries, or I love you. It ain't the same love. Right? In the New Testament, you can say different words for different forms of love. And the love that we're going to talk about today is the Greek word agape. If you look at love in the Bible, it's listed, depending on the translation, over 645 times. It's a lot. Just in the New Testament, the word agape is over 300 times. It's used as a noun probably somewhere around 116 times. Agape is used as a verb 140 times. Agape is also used as an adjective often, and it's been used somewhere around 62 times. When we talk about this love we need to identify it. We need to, what is love? And the definition of that love is a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another, another's highest good. A pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. When you look at the Bible, it actually defines agape in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And at the end of that passage, verse 13 and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is agape. Says a lot. That ain't, that ain't a love of french fries, right? This is a selfless love. This is a love that's really, it's gonna take some work to love this kind of love. And we start with agape, with God's love, right? God's agape. And actually says, and so we know, in 1 John 7, 6, it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. The agape. God is agape. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is equals love. Love, the kind of love that we're talking about is selfless. It is something that is unattainable. It is something that is just so different and powerful. God is agape. We talk about God's love and we talk about God being love. God equals love. But then we talk about God loving us. 
And we all know this passage, John 3.16. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you watch a football game or any athletic, you see John 3.16 everywhere. And we all know it, right? Everybody that believes in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I say believe it's because it's the King James Version. That's how old school I am. John 3.16, for God so agape the world. Let me read that definition again. A pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's good. That's God's love for us. Not just us, but the whole world. Then we talk about agape in the New Testament, and we talk about our love. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses of that passage go like this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This thing's starting to seem important. Right? This love, this agape word is coming up a lot. Like it, and that's where it got me is I was walking through a lot of this stuff with the young adults and a lot of this stuff with the students and there was this, like, this theme that kept popping up and it's love. And I've been a believer in Jesus for a long time. And I don't think I've given as much attention as I should have in the past to this agape. It talks about our love in Matthew 22. In fact, it's a, it's a point where Jesus is teaching and these Pharisees are all sitting around back and they're trying to trap Jesus, these, these people who know the law really well. And so they ask Jesus, they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Agape your neighbor as yourself. This is a, this verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's some weight there with this word agape. In fact, God's called us to agape him. And he's called us to agape others. He's called us to love others. That's important. Considering all of the laws and the prophets hang on those two commandments. You see, I don't believe that you can agape, that you can experience it, that you can know it, or that you can give it if you don't fully embrace who you are. If you don't know who you are, it's hard to experience this agape. And I think that's why when I was unpacking Ephesians with the young adults, Paul starts with the letter to Ephesus by explaining to them who they are. But before we go into Ephesians 1, we have to unpack one thing. 
justice, mercy, and grace. We need to understand those two words to be able to understand what's going on in here. Justice is you get what you deserve. Typically bad, right? Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. Also bad. Grace is you get good what you don't deserve. So when we're walking through Ephesians, I want you to, when those words pop up, think about those definitions. Paul starts in Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 3 and just roll with me because we're going to go fast. Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in agape he predestined us for adoption to the son's sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will stop right there two words that Paul uses to let Ephesus know who they are is you've been chosen you are adopted into the sonship of God. It's important to hear that. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious, what's that word? Grace. Which he has freely given us. And the one he agapes. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach its fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Stop. That last part. He not only told them and us who they are, who we are, but he also just shared your purpose. He's telling Ephesus their purpose and the end of 12. And he's saying in that you might be for the praise of his glory. The idea that God's plan is all about making his name great. And let everybody know that. But he's going to use us to do that. And so Paul not only gives them identity, he gives them purpose. We go on to 13. And you also were included in Christ. You're a part of us. When you heard this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation... When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he tells, he tells them who they are. He tells them the purpose. And at the end, he tells you how he's going to do it. You have been sealed with a promised Holy Spirit guaranteeing you entrance, guaranteeing your inheritance. So he's telling everybody in the church at Ephesus, you got to know who you are because he's got a plan for you and this is how he's going to do it. It's super important to understand who you are in Christ. You are a son and daughter of Christ. You are heir to the throne of heaven. It's, you have to understand that to be able to understand and give agape. So we're going to jump into Ephesians 2 now. Ephesians 2, Paul then looks at the church at Ephesus, gave them all those great things, and then he says, but remember where you came from. All right, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Talking about the devil. All of us also lived among them at one time. I'm going to repeat that. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, justice. But because of his great agape for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order in that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus we all know these for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not from yourselves it's a gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is Ephesians 1 and 2, y'all. When we take entire books and we put it into perspective of what's happening, we start to understand words like agape and what Paul is trying to say to the church of Ephesus. Look, know your identity. Know who you are. Know, know how you got there. Know who you were. Know God's plan. Know how he's going to do it. And then he ends at the end, uh, we take this verse, verses 8 through 10, kind of out sometimes, and we hear the, the words good works, and we're like, ooh, what kind of good works can I do for God? Doesn't work that way. God knows the works he wants you to do. He's got a plan for you. He says it right here. His plan is to make his name great through you. That's a lot. But before we can understand agape, 
We need to understand who we are. Now, I'm into football. I've always been into football, but I have a three-year-old. Right, so Saturdays, my wife had generally worked, and so it was just little man and I, and there's no chance for football happening. You're not sitting down for two or three hours and watching football, but turning three, I finally kind of am getting to the point to where I can have a little bit more time to watch football. And one of the coolest things is there's a dude that has his first year coaching. It's his first year coaching this year in big time football, but he's no stranger to football. And this guy, is he's, he's coaching at one of my favorite places in Boulder, Colorado. And he has some things to say about identity. I'm going to let y'all watch it. what your opinion is of me. I want more than anything for this next generation to walk out of their doors of their churches and go out with an identity and a courageousness and a boldness to look at people in the face and say, you didn't make me, you can't break me. You didn't build me, so you can't kill me. God has established this. That's bold. If you know that identity, then you can go out there and agape. You can love God because you know who you are in him, and you can love others in a way that's just different. But you have to know your identity. God established this. And I'm going to walk out there knowing that. And nothing you can say will ever change that. All right? So, we talk about God's love. We talk about our love. Now we got to talk a little bit about loving others. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
Romans 10.13 talks about the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever command there may be, they're all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. A lot of times they'll use fulfillment and it means completeness. Love, agape, is the thing that makes the law complete. Remember, if, if you have all of these things, if you have wisdom, if you have, if you have all the gifts and talents, if you have all the money but not have love, doesn't matter. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is one of my favorite passages because I'm so bad at it. This is one of my favorite passages because it simply describes Jesus looking at his disciples and says, guys, guys, they will know me by how we treat each other, by how we agape. They will see me through agape that you have for the people around you. Wow. Right? If that doesn't put you back and go, wow. Because then we have to talk about this. We talked about loving others, but do our enemies really count as others? Like, you start thinking about your actual enemies, like people who have done you dirty, people that have done you wrong. We're called to love them. Specifically. So loving others is one thing. Okay, Shay, I got you. But loving our enemies? Mm. Dr. Martin Luther King says this about agape. Agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men, not because they are likable, but because God loves them. Guys, we are called to love the people that we dislike the most. We're called to it. And it's not just some, oh God, in the South it was, oh God bless you. Bless your soul. It ain't that kind of love. Because we all know what that means. It's that definition that we said at the very beginning. A pure, sacrificial, selfless love that we're called to agape our enemies. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He 
causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax collectors doing this? Like, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The, the perfect, and there we come back to this word complete. Be complete, as your Father is complete. You know, when I think of uh, a more like loving your enemy moment, uh, there's a clip that I recently saw, and I'm late to the party on this, but the Chosen videos, the Chosen movies, it's just amazing to watch it happen, right? But there's one piece that just stopped me in my tracks recently, and it's this clip of Jesus and Judas. Because I'm looking at it, and we're all looking at it going, like, no, don't do it! Like, don't let him in! But he does. Let's watch it. Big, big in there. Heavy in. Big. Okay, everyone. So, I'm Judas. I'm Kiriot. Shalom, Judas. Shalom. I saw you before I stepped out to talk to the people. And then I noticed you listening very intently during my sermon. It's wonderful. Thank you. And then Nathaniel briefly told me how you gave us help and how you might be interested in joining us. He's not easy to impress. Ah. I attended Beth Midrash, but my father passed away before I could pursue a rabbi, so I stayed home to work. I would like to follow you. You would? Very much. I may not be a soldier in battle, but I have business and financial skills that I would like to use to spread the, this ministry far and wide as fast as possible. I, I did attend the Beth Midrash, and I... <laughs> I earned you the first time. I do not require that of my followers. You would actually be one of the few. I only require what other rabbis do. That you seek to be like me. Of course. But that will be much more difficult with me than with other rabbis, I can assure you. Are you ready to do hard things? I believe you are going to change the world. And I want to be a part of that. I'm willing to make sacrifices. And I have. I am accustomed to loss. So yes. Yes. I'm ready to do hard things. Divorcee. So, the meaning of your name. Ah, ah. God be praised. Yes, with your hands. Will you praise God? Every day. Well, in that case, Judas. Follow me. 
Thank you, Rabbi. Everyone is here, Rabbi. In today's culture, the term cancel culture is rather popular. And when it comes to the Bible, I would say that I generally cancel Judas out. We just cancel, right? Like we don't put a lot of thought into him. I don't. Like it's, he's a traitor. But then God hit me through the last couple of months of this idea you were Judas. I was like, okay, I know, I know I'm bad. Like, I know I've done bad things. But then I look at Ephesians, and Paul's like, you were there. You once followed the other side. You are an enemy of God. For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only son that whoever, all the Judases in the world, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, love is an action. In 1 John 3, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In fact, 1 Corinthians, Paul goes and Chapter 6, he says, it's a very easy verse to memorize, youngsters, do everything in love. Pretty clear. Do everything in agape. Do everything in sacrificial, pure love. Now, if I was doing this in a series. This is where we would stop and you would sit there and you would ponder this for a week and then we'd come back and talk about the second part. But we're not gonna because it's in a series. We're doing it today. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. We're gonna talk about the fact that in Ephesians, Paul set up this idea of identity, who we are, and then he's got a plan. And he starts that in Ephesians 2. And in Ephesians 2, we're gonna start in 14. And it's just something that is so radical. Let's read it. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by settling aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
So in Ephesians, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, you two groups, Jews and Gentiles, are now going to become one in unity, which is baffling. Because if you don't know how much these two people groups hated each other, hated each other. It was rumored that if a Jewish son or daughter married into a Gentile family, that they would literally hold a funeral for that person. Like literally, this person is not just dead. They are dead to us. And God says, we are going to take these two groups, we're going to make them one, and we're going to change the world. Because there is no understanding, there is no explanation that can make peace out of that. That can make unity out of that. Now I look at that, and he talks to the Jews specifically, when the Jewish people talk about a temple they talk about you know what Moses God gave Moses these very specific instructions of a temple and how to build it and how to and then they would put a veil and this would be the holy of holies and this is where God would exist and if if priests went in there and they weren't holy enough God would strike them dead and they would tie a rope around their leg because no one else could go in there and they would have to pull them out this is how crazy this is Paul says Jews you are now the temple because God lives inside you. So if we are all the temple and we all come together with one spirit that lives inside of us, this is mind-blowing. You don't have a spirit and then you have a different spirit and then you have a different spirit. We all have the same one spirit inside of us. And that idea is to bring unity together. And that way, when he calls us to love each other, to love him, and to love them, that's different. That's a different kind. That is a light in a dark place. The fact that this is so important, it's just... It's amazing to me, this word agape. It's amazing that we don't spend more time unpacking it. Not we in 360, we as a group of believers in this world. And it's so amazing to me that God chose us to be the instruments to go out and show people agape, love. Mother Teresa says this, of all people, I'm just a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. We are all little pencils. If you are a follower of Christ in the hands of a writing God, who is sending a love letter to the world. Mother Teresa, who has done so many insignificant things that have come together and became so significant. We all know who she is. 
But all she really did is love people in action. And if there were more of us doing that, the significance would be out of this world. In fact, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians and says this, for Christ's agape compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that same way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The idea of reconciliation is, let's say you took a piece of fabric and you pulled it apart and you tore it. The idea of reconciliation would be putting that back together as if it was never torn. And then some of the stuff I do with students, sometimes I'll be like, here's two pieces of paper, put them back together. And you can always tell, right? There's always something there. There's, there's some kind of scar there. But the idea that you have been reconciled back to God, you have been brought back in community with him to be in relationship with him as if you were never torn apart. And we are ambassadors we implore them, be reconciled back to God. We want you to know God loves you. He agapes you, appears selfless, sacrificial love, as he did me. Here we go. to God. We implore you as ambassadors, as if God was making his plea through us. Guys, the message, the gospel, doesn't start at sin. It starts at creation. God made you to be with him. And he wants to be reconciled back to you. And the way that he did that is through agape. 
love. And he's called every single believer in this world to be united in that message and to go out there and be a dark place in the world. Could you imagine if we held true to just that? And if we didn't think about anything else, if we, if we didn't argue about anything else, if there wasn't so many things we could argue about, so many things to distract us from the greatest commandments, the thing that kind of makes everything else complete, love. How radically different would we be as a church? Not just 360, but the world. We would be unified by one spirit and celebrate our diversity. He can't have me reach all of these students' friends. But sometimes he uses me to reach a student so that they can go reach their friends. I can't reach all of them, but I can reach one. And he's got a purpose and a plan, whether you're 90 or you're nine. He wants to use you today. He wants to use you tomorrow. God in us, one spirit that brings unity to go out there, say this little light of mine. As a three-year-old on the screen and have him sing that, but I resisted. (laughs) I'm calling these students to be different. I don't even need to call them. They know it. They know how to be different and they're living it out. I'm calling them to be bold, but not in the bold we usually think of. Be bold in the love that we give out. And I'm calling y'all, and I'm calling myself, and I'm calling us. Be bold, but be bold in love. Don't be bold in differences and diversity. Be bold in unity. Be bold in love. Be bold with the idea that we have one. Go love them, please. Because they're going to see me by how you do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you that you have given these people to come in here the opportunity to worship you freely. Lord, I pray that if there is anybody in here that doesn't understand or know agape, that you allow them to be bold today and stand up and come over to this prayer thing when the service ends and come for the first time experience your agape. 
Lord, allow the people that do know and have seen and have recognized the difference that agape can make in their lives. Give them the boldest boldness to go share that out there. God, we pray for these students. We pray for these young adults who are going out there and who are living it. And we pray that you allow them to have revival and influence on so many students, on so many of their relationships. Lord, we pray that you give us the strength and courage to go outside and truly see people. We pray that you give us the courage and strength to go outside and to hear someone, to actually listen. Even if it's our enemy. Lord, we pray that you give us your lens to look at this world. This, the lens that you love all of them. Lord, we pray that you give us the courage and strength to know each other and to go out there and allow someone to see what it is to be known by you. But we pray that if somebody does not know that agape today, that you give them the courage to ask somebody. That you give them the courage to, to connect and the ways that are designed, that you've designed. But we love you so much. We thank you for your agape. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.